Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he extended his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank deep into a deep sleep as Paul kept on speaking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. After going upstairs, breaking bread, eating, Paul conversed a considerable time until dawn. Then he left, and they brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Father, thank you, Lord, for this privilege this morning we have to assemble once again as the body of Christ. Father, hide me behind the cross this morning, Lord, so that your spirit, God, the Holy Spirit of the living God, will move in each and every heart as only you can, not only in this building, but ones that watch this morning online or in the coming months and years. Father, we know that your word will not return void. God, just speak to our hearts, convict us, encourage us, challenge us as we grow into the men and women that you have created us to be to carry out the purpose that you have created us for. And Lord, let us not grow weary until the day that you take us from this sanctification process to the day that we die and we enter what's called the glorification. We enter your presence eternally. Father, we commit all this to you, and we ask it in Jesus' holy, precious, and righteous name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Verse 7 through 9 again. So on the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he extended his message until midnight. Were many lamps in the room upstairs where he was assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting in a windowsill, sank deep into his sleep as Paul kept on speaking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. And the first thing that I want to share with you comes from those verses this morning, and it is this. Anything can happen to God's people, but fear has no place in our hearts. By the way, it's so encouraging when I read the beginning of this story. It, it wasn't just me that has people fall asleep during the preaching. Paul had it happen. Amen? Amen. So that has been happening since the beginning of time. But in all seriousness, there's a lot of fear that we confront as Christians. Is there not? In this circumstance, when you watch that happen, you go, God, I'm not even safe worshiping you. We can say that now in this culture, right? You got it? All right, God, we're at Longview Baptist Church, and we've had how many church shootings all over the, the nation in the last... I know your pastor is a former police officer, and we had many former law enforcement and military in here, and our doors lock after the service starts, and, but you never know. And you could sit around and you could allow that to take root. Church, I'm going to just tell you, I know that God is bigger than the boogeyman, as it says in Veggie Tales, but I'm going to promise you something. If someone tries to do something in this church, they might get a couple off, but they're going to go down pretty quick because we're going to protect the body. Amen? 
But you shouldn't worry about that due to the fact that God is bigger than all of this. And remember what I've shared with you that Scripture says that our days have been ordained before the foundations of the world. I was headed in on Tuesday morning, or it might have been Monday, whichever morning, it might have been Tuesday this week. And it was, it was early, and I saw this pickup truck, and I said, there's no way that person lived. And they didn't. They had an accident, they'd run off the road, and they were killed, 31 years old. That same day, there was a 22-year-old from Bellbuckle that died, and another one from what I heard. They were all different. If you've looked at the obituaries in this county, not all of them are actually printed, but for whatever reason, but if you look at them, there's a broad road. There's a lot of younger ones this week. Nobody's promised tomorrow. So my question is, are you safer at home on a Sunday morning because you fear that something could happen at a church, that you are safer at home than you would be in this fellowship? I want to tell you, if you say yes, you've got another thing coming. I can assure you. Because if God... His word is true, and our days have been ordained before the foundations of the world, and God commands us to be in fellowship, Hebrews 10.25. Don't you believe in your disobedience of not coming to do what God has commanded you to do? You'd be safer than in the body of Christ doing what he's called you to. Amen or oh me. Because I know there's a lot of times in my life when I would have been outside God's protective envelope. Of course, I wasn't a believer because I wasn't much for going to church as a non-Christian. I didn't much like doing that. For whatever reason, I didn't feel at home. Uh-oh, I hope the rest of y'all ain't feeling that right now. Amen. Amen. Amen, Brother Jonathan. Now, when you are a goat amongst the sheep, and you're trying to get the sheep to feed you as a goat, that's not a comfortable position to be in, is it? The thought of me, I remember they asked me to go to men's conferences or weekend things, that literally to me was like asking to go get afflicted with a disease. The thought of going and spending time with Christian fellas sitting around talking about the Bible was about as appealing to me back then as a lost person as watching paint peel. There was nothing that appealed to me about it. Now, as a follower of Christ, I get excited thinking about fellowship. Uh, as a matter of fact, last night I watched... Um, it was an a African-American church, man, and hey, they were getting on down with the worship. And I listened to that and I was like, wow, they were getting at it. They were excited about worship, and that's what our attitude should be. It's not on Sunday, oh, i got to go to church again. It should be, God, what a privilege to go worship you. I'm not here for people. I'm here for Jesus. He died on the cross for me. He's the one that rose from the grave. He's the reason that in God's presence one day in death, I will hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. It won't be because I was a member of the Southern Baptist Convention because you've heard me say, if you stand before God and you invoke the Southern Baptist Convention name, you're going to go to hell faster than anybody ever could dream. Why? Because you have invoked not the name of Jesus. You've invoked the name as the sons of Sceva we looked at a few weeks ago. Hey, I command you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. You're going second tier. We go to the source We'll stand before Jesus one day in judgment and God the Father, not in our righteousness because Jesus Christ took on our sin. He became sin for us. He paid our sin debt, not so we can be religious and self-made righteous like the Pharisees. No, 
He did it so we wholly are able to stand before him justified. And by the way, if you envision it, the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives us through his death, burn, resurrection, shields us from the wrath of God. It's not because we are righteous. It is his righteousness imputed, which means given to us, that shields us from the wrath of God in his presence one day. Isn't that exciting? Isn't it awesome to know that God has covered all the bases? And by the way, on those days when you think you're a miserable mess, you're like, you know, I put everything out on Facebook and everybody thinks I have the perfect life. I think I did an analogy about it last last Sunday morning or Wednesday night about how these pictures and they choreograph these pictures and everybody's life looks so pretty on Facebook and they got nice this and nice that and their lawn's cut and, you know, that mom's been with those kids and look, she's got this nice dinner she had a picture of and all this stuff and then look at me, I'm a wreck and I can't even get my curlers out of my hair before 10 o'clock, ladies, and you feel like a complete epic disaster. And you look at that and you try to say, why can't I be like them? Why doesn't my house look like their house? Why doesn't my outfit, God, look at my car. Look at that nice $70,000, $80,000 car they're driving and they've got the matching swim shoots and all that. We don't, Lord, we're being faithful and we don't have that stuff. By the way, don't live your life based on that because I promise you the facade that people put on Facebook is straight from hell. They're showing you the pretty parts of their life. I can assure you they're not showing you the rest of it. And I can promise you the pain that they're experiencing from all the money that they're extended unless they've been given money by somebody that they're extending has them in absolute debt and they're literally treading water and in most cases drowning, hoping that nobody finds out the truth. See, that's why this morning I don't, I don't live by fear. I don't worry about fear. I'm not worried. This morning, I know that anything can happen to to God's people, to us. But see, fear has no place in our heart because fear, as that song says, is a liar. And it robs you. What does it rob you of? It robs you of living the abundant life in Christ. One of the big things he does with pastors, it's interesting because I remember experiencing it years ago and not understanding it. You go on Sunday, pastors go from being a hero on Sunday to a zero on Monday. That's a true phenomenon with pastors. And you feel extremely, um, you feel like a nobody on Mondays. That's just a natural thing. All pastors go through it. I think it has to do with the spiritual warfare that we experience, especially on Sundays. So what does the enemy do? It's like, I'm going to tell you who it's like. Elijah, after Mount Carmel, the power of God has fallen. You've watched the power of God. What's happening the next day? Elijah's running because Queen Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And it's a, it's a lie. It doesn't have any truth to it, but it's still the same thing. But see, that fear tries to remove any of your self-worth and your value. And we have to catch it. And I often tell pastors when I talk to them about that, be really careful about Mondays. Be really careful when you've had a major series of spiritual victories and you're spiritually weak. Get your accountability, have people praying for you because what's going to happen, he's going to attack your self-worth. He'll bring fear in there of feeling like, I don't know, I'm a disaster, I'm a wreck, but that's what the enemy does. He is a master of lies. The same way that I talk about the analogy on the road when you're driving through Florida and that puddle of water is just about 100 yards up, never in my life in all the years I've been alive have I ever found that puddle of water. It continues to move. That's what his lies are like. They're just far enough for you not to tangibly touch them. And if you entertain them in your mind, it will drive you absolutely insane. But see this picture right here. You have Paul preaching on the night. He's got to leave the next morning. 
Think about back then, okay? They're in a small second floor room. The, the heat of the day happened, it's nighttime. You have the heat from the rocks outside. You have the candles in there that's lighting up the room and also these people crammed in this upper story. The oxygen would have been a little bit uh, depleted, I might say, at best. So you have a little hypoxia, right? You're not getting quite the oxygen you need. Uh, it's, a, it's a phenomenon that happens in flying and actually happens in diving and things too. And when you get, you get kind of get tired, right? You start yawning, you get tired, and the next thing you know, he's falling asleep. Oh no, if we're not safe to worship, where are we safe? No, that you run that right out the door because fear has no place in the hearts of a follower of Jesus Christ. None at all. And though you get to watch then the power of God. Listen to verse 10. But Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Leads to the second thing I want to share with you this morning. God holds the keys to life and death. I said that kind of in essence a second ago. Please realize this. If, let's say tomorrow you were going to die or I'm going to die, what is the, the first thing you might think about doing in the human perspective? I'm not going to go nowhere. If it would be a wreck or, you know, I'm going to go home, I'm going to get in my safe room, I'm going to bolt myself in the safe room, you think that's going to stop it? No. There's people right now dropping dead from blood clots, literally a, an epidemic of people dying healthy, Young, middle, old, all in between, epidemic of blood clots. You know what you can't do from a blood clot? Run from it. If you've got a blood clot in your body, it's, it's going to be there, right? So you can try to run, but you can't hide. But I'll give you a really good suggestion. Don't sit around and worry about that. You worry about keeping this right. You get in fellowship with the Lord. You get in His presence because perfect love casts out all fear. Another Bible verse. Perfect love casts out all fear. And who can we be loved by perfectly? The God of creation and no one else. So one of the greatest things that we can do is recognize that God is the author of all life. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you go on a submarine 12,300 feet in the water. If it's not your time to die, you're not going to die. If it is your time, doesn't matter where you're at, it's going to be your time. So the best thing to do is live every day like it's your last day. One day you'll be right. And it's not a bad thing. I don't know why that so many Christians are scared to death to die. What are you scared of? I'm so tired of the thought of being freed from pain. I don't want to go. Right? I don't want to go somewhere where every tear will be wiped away from my eyes. I don't want to go anywhere where there will be no more mourning, no more sadness. I don't want to go anywhere where I'm not reminded every morning as I wake up that this body's falling away and Arthur, right? Arthritis is one of your greatest friends. What a horror of thinking that we would have a day without any of that. It just scares me the very thought of being freed from all of this. I don't understand. But I have a question for you. If you're here this morning and you're scared of dying, I want to ask you, what are you scared of? That's my question. What are you scared of? Do you not know? Now, I'm going to tell you, if that's you and you don't know, 
I'd be scared too. As a matter of fact, I'd be scared to death. Because there's a serious reality that's going to be facing every one of us at one point or another, and that is death. It's going to happen. Doesn't matter what you or I think about it. It's going to happen. So the greatest thing that we can do is be prepared. Are you prepared today to walk off into your eternity right now? Would you, right this minute, if, if I, let's say God says right now, hey, so-and-so is getting ready to flop out right now, and we could bring you up here, and I'd say, listen, I have a question for you. Do you have any regrets with how you have loved, lived for, honored, and glorified King Jesus? Do you have any regrets right now, and are you ready to go? I want you to answer that to yourself right now. Some of you went there and went, oh no, I know what you're saying inside. No way, I wouldn't want that to be me for nothing in this world. Why? Well, because, well then I have this question for you. Why don't you do what needs to be done so that you can change that whole entire life song right now? This morning, why don't you purpose to start living every day as if it's your last because I promise you it's going to happen. Why don't you run that race faithfully and strongly? Why don't you finish strong? But you can't do that warming a pew. You can't do that saying, oh, I went to church today. You can't do that unless you're living life on purpose. Exactly what's happening right here. Okay, old pastors, that guy just drones on and on and on. You think I get up here because I want to hear myself talk? You are out of your mind if you think that. I've got much better things in my life to do than just stand up and hear myself blow more hot air. Do you think I don't believe beyond a shadow of a doubt what I'm talking about? They don't pay me by the minute to do this. If it was, we'd be here for three days straight if it was about money. It is about the good news of the gospel and seeing people come to obedience and live out God's created purpose for them is the reason that I stand up here. Why am I so passionate? Because I know it's real. Not only do I know heaven's real, but I know hell's real. And I know the reality of what the enemy wants to do and he wants to make each and every one of us completely unusable for the kingdom, completely bound up in foolish stuff that has no meaning. Last week at this time, very, very wealthy people walked off into their eternity. Extra One almost a billionaire from what I heard. I don't know anything about it. I just know very wealthy people. The moment that that sound happened that they picked up on one of those seismograph things floating out there in the ocean, do you know what happened the moment that that happened with all of the money that each one of them had? What did that at that moment become for them? Nothing. Nothing. They couldn't spend another dime. They couldn't influence another person. They could do nothing. At that moment, everything that they had ever said or ever had done ceased to be a reality in this dimension. And from what it sounds like, they were turned into liquid instantly. Meaning, they didn't even have one twenty-five hundred, the best I can assume, of a second or less is how fast that happened. Doesn't matter what you have in this world. Doesn't matter that you want to retire and you want to be comfortable. And those words right there have a whole lot of this in itself. 
Well, I just want to be comfortable. Want to be comfortable? There's nothing in the Bible that says anything about us being financially comfortable. Do you know that? God already promises to provide all of our needs. So, what are you striving for? What are you trying to do? What is your end goal? Honestly, be honest with yourself. Stop. Stop doing this spiritual slant. I just want to get enough so I can go and start doing missions trips and all this stuff. Stop lying to yourself. Be honest with yourself. Because if you're not doing it now with little, you won't do it when you have much. That's just the truth. We can call it for what it is. If you're not being faithful now with little, you will not be faithful when you've been entrusted with much. And by the way, with much has been entrusted, much is required. Amen? And by the way, who is not faithful with little will never be entrusted with much. Just doing the spiritual principles. But I attribute a lot of that stuff too to that parable when Jesus talks about, you know, he's, hey, he's got all this, so he needs to build bigger barns, right? What does he say? This, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. We're not promised anything. And I say that because, see, God holds the keys to life and death. And I realize the older I get, the shorter the days become, the weeks, the months, and the years become. I realize that all of this stuff, it's fleeting. It's fleeting. And I realize that these distractors, that's what they are, distractors are merely there to distract me from the main thing being the main thing. Hey, the enemy doesn't want me to influence people and influence kids and pour into lives and help others grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and grow to, to obedience and to have relationships that truly are real relationships, not the, hey, so good, oh, it's so good, God's so great, when inside you're dying. He doesn't want those deep, meaningful relationships that transform, and many times generations, that transform church bodies when they get serious about the call to the kingdom and the kingdom work and they get involved and you know, who wants to come out with Bible school? You know, guys, it's summertime, and you got stuff to do, and it, it sacrifice. But what is sacrifice? It costs you something. You can give when it's comfortable and easy. Some of the greatest tithers, y'all know this, are the poorest people. Y'all know this? It's historically. Some of the greatest tithers, the one who tithe the most, are those who have the least amount. Isn't that interesting? Why do it seem like it'd be the other way, right? It's actually not the truth. I wonder why. Maybe it's the widow's might phenomenon, right? You realize everything's God's. You can't give God enough. I don't, know what, I don't know what the cause of that is. But it's really easy when we sit back and we have it all figured out and we're just trying to tip God enough to make him happy and show up enough time with our big cheesy smile and talk about what needs to be done and how exciting it is, but then never show up to do anything about it the same way with people that come up. I've heard pastor after pastor share these stories. People come up and say, man, we really need to do this. We really need to do that. We really need to get involved in this and do that. You know what my response is going to be from now on? Good. Praise God. Do it. Everybody wants to tell pastors what would be so awesome to get started, but then when the person says, well, what, what about, oh, no, I'm not that kind of person. Well, wait a minute. God laid it on your heart. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Get busy. You want to get involved in visitation? Get involved in visitation, church. What do you have to have? Here's a prerequisite. You have to have a heart for people. I can't put that in you. Well, maybe you can't go when he's going, oh, no problem, I got you out on that one. I go every Sunday afternoon. You can go with me. 
So if you want to do it, we'll find a time. But again, I can't put the one to in your hearts. The desire to be a part of the kingdom work, I can't do that. We can sit around and make excuses about why. We can sit around and make excuses like Paul could have. Hey, I've got to travel tomorrow. I really don't need to be up at 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever time it was. We know it was late into the evening. What good excuse Paul could have made, but see, Paul realized the kingdom work has a time frame on it. He had that little bit of time. He was going to use it for God's glory and sleep didn't matter to Paul. He realized that the message of the kingdom and the gospel was more important than his physical. You know, my pastor friend, Harry Reeder, who was killed just a few weeks ago, I fully believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, he had stayed up most of the night ministering to other pastors. And I really, in my, until everything's found out, I really believe he fell asleep when he ran into the back of that dump truck and died. Did he miss anything? Did, would it have been smarter for him to get in bed? No. You know why? Because what I just shared with you, hey, our days have been ordained before the foundations of the world. Harry Reader got a ministry that lasted 50 plus years. He was my childhood pastor. So Harry Reader's missed out on nothing at all. God allowed him to establish a vibrant ministry down in Birmingham, Alabama that reaches thousands upon thousands of people, school, ministries, counseling, all of these beautiful things. But the beautiful thing, church, this morning is when you recognize and rest in the fact that God holds the keys to life and death, it takes away that element of fear, especially when I, I encourage you what I said earlier, as long as you don't have a fear of death. If you have a fear of death, I know that's not of God, but we need to talk about this because it's not godly. It's not going to honor the Lord with you worried about what the process of death is going to be like one day. I promise you, if you're ready to meet the Lord, you don't have fear. As a matter of fact, you have to have a little bit of that, I almost feel guilty because I'm ready to go be with my Lord and my Savior, and I almost feel like I'm trying to check out early in my mindset. That's the guilt you would feel. Amen? So don't feel that guilt. You are like Paul. He says, what I desire to depart, which is by far much greater. What he was saying is, I want to go be with my King, my Lord, my God. But I realize the importance of staying and finishing the work and the race that God has set before me. That's what I'm talking about, church. That should be your desire, not that fatalistic thing of, well, I'm going to go out and jump off a cliff, and if it's my time to die, I'm going to die. No, God's going to look at you in about 10 seconds and go, you idiot, I put that thing between your shoulders to be wise. Amen? Don't tempt God. Only place God's word says to tempt him is in tithing, and everywhere else it says do not tempt him. So remember, God holds the keys to life and death. Praise God. Look at Eutychus. He is a living example of the power of God over death. And then move on to verses 11 and 12. It said, after going upstairs, breaking bread, eating, Paul conversed a considerable amount of time until dawn. Then he left. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. At least the third and final thing that I want to share with you this morning is this. Seeing God's power displayed should be a normal event, not an anomaly. You know what an anomaly is? An anomaly is when you have things that are normal, that is normalcy. When you have an anomaly, let's say you're going along and in a heart, have you ever seen EKG strips, right? You see the heart, you got PQRST waves and they look normalized, right? That's what you call a normal rhythm. Now, if something in that is not right, then you see an anomaly. Anomalies can point to things 
But anomalies are something that, that is not right. It's not normal. See, God's power displayed should be a normal event, not an anomaly. When God does something awesome in your life, you should be going, oh, it's about time. Uh-uh. Church, I could point to you on any given day. It happened once this week. There was a truck. I, almost, I promise you, if God had not intervened, that person would have hit me head on. I know the three instances this week. The one, very concerning. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, apart from the divine intervention of God, I was getting ready to go check out in a nasty way because it was a semi, and I can't, you know, 5,000 pounds versus 50,000 or whatever. It's not a nice match. See, that was God's supernatural intervention. No, no, they just happened. No, don't, don't tell me that. We'll fight over that. I know that God is intricately involved. I know he's in my life. If he's not involved in your life, then you had to invite him in, into your life. You want to believe that there are protective angels, guardian, they call them guardian angels? You not believe that? Well, I know for a fact. We know scripture talks about it. If you understood Frank Peretti's book, this, this Present Darkness is a really good, it's not based on a true story, but it's a picture of what the spiritual world, the, the demonic and the angelic and the fight. Remember what scripture says, our fight is not against flesh and blood, principalities, rulers, dark forces in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual battle going on all the time. And you don't realize that God's protective hand over us? I hope you realize that that should be something that is a normal thing, not an anomaly. When God provides for you and your family supernaturally, that should not be something that is anomaly. God holds everything in my family, everything financial, everything physical, and everything in between has to be the divine work of God in our life because of the very size of our home and what it takes to, to support a home of our size. Is God's supernatural provision Brothers and sisters, I promise you, and I'll fight with you if you want to disagree that it's God's supernatural provision. All we're required is to do our part. God does everything. He can do what Ephesians 3.20 promises, and he does this daily for us. Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. The power of the living God that dwells within me is my source, my strength. He's my rock. He's my strong tower. He's my deliverer. Is he yours? Whenever you see God do something in someone else's life, you go, I wish God would do that in my life. First of all, I have this question. Do you really believe that God could, could intervene supernaturally in your life in the first place? Do you really believe that? I know some people go, well, God doesn't do that anymore. That was during the apostolic phase of the New Testament. You know, that's kind of silent now. And God doesn't heal anymore and that kind of stuff. And, you know, well, I'm going to just tell you, if you believe that, you're wrong. If you believe that God doesn't heal, and if you believe that God doesn't supernaturally provide for us, and God doesn't supernaturally protect us, I don't know what to tell you. But I'll tell you one thing. If you believe he doesn't do that, you're wrong. Because I know that the God of creation, he is intricately involved. Why do I and how do I know that? Because scripture tells me he knows how many hairs are on my head. So that tells me he knows a whole lot about what's going on. Amen. And what is his desire and promise today? First, his promise is 
What? I'll provide all your needs according to my glorious riches in Christ. You know what else it promises? In terms of spiritual warfare. What do we know in the book of James about spiritual warfare? It says that when we're armored up, we will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. So what does it tell me when someone says to me, Brother Jonathan, I don't know why, man, I'm just getting attacked and knocked down and blown out every which way. God's word's a liar or somewhere you're out of track with God's word. Because what does the scripture say? You will extinguish all of them. It doesn't say some of them. You think God's going to put on us something that there is no ability at all that we could withstand? What was the only limitations to Job's ability to stand under? By the way, don't forget this. Job was not filled with the Holy Spirit as a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ had not been permanently filled with the Comforter like we have as New Testament believers. Job was fighting that in the flesh. You ever thought of that? Can you imagine? But what? He, he cursed the day he was born, but he stood firm. He never did what the enemy said he would do, which was to curse God and die. He stood firm. Now, let's talk about us now. We are born-again followers of Jesus Christ, New Covenant, New Testament believers, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of the living God, and you're going, oh, God, that was just too much temptation. I couldn't handle it. No, 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 no. You had an appetite for something that you allowed to take root, and you were feeding the sin nature, the sin man, not the spiritual one. You were refusing to see the incredible gifts and glory of God manifest in your life and glorify Him for it, but you continued to look on Facebook and look at your neighbor next door and go, well, if God loved me, He'd have given me some of that too. Instead of being thankful for what God's given you and praising him for a car that halfway gets you to point A to point B, but God always is faithful. And God will never bless you with another one and a nicer house or a bigger house or whatever it is until you're thankful for the one that you have. And truly do that with a grateful and a thankful heart. But church, I can't put the heart of God in you. I can't give you a heart to love what he loves and hate what he hates. I can encourage you and compel you to that as much as I can. Hence the reason that I stand up here on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. My desire is to see you walk in the fullness of Christ. But I can't birth that in you. You have to want it. I can't put a heart in you that, that loves the littles, the least of these the orphans, the widows. I can't put a heart in you that loves your brother, sister, in the pew next to you. I can't do it. I can lead you to it, but I can't put that heart in you. If you wonder this morning, you know, I don't have a desire for any of the things he's talking about, but I know that's what I should, and I don't understand. I would encourage you to step further back and ask God to reveal the condition of your heart. Because... If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the ability to love. And the thing that enables you to have a heart for others is a heart of love that only is given by God the Father. And it's given to us as followers of Christ as part of the inheritance when we come to faith in Christ. 
And again, loving someone is something that you can't guilt or convince someone to do. Again, the only thing you can do is point them to the cross, the finished work of salvation through Jesus Christ, where salvation commences, the love of God becomes present, evident, and becomes the reality for those. See, Paul's heart, it's undeniable as we look at Paul's heart of ministry, as he, adversity after adversity, you know, we'll get to the shipwreck later when we get into Acts, but I mean, just, I look at the story of, of Paul, you know, Paul and Silas that we covered a couple of months ago, and you just got beat, and they're in prison singing, praising God. That called myself to account and going, God, what would I do? What would I do? I'd be hiring a human rights attorney, best one on the planet. You can't believe you would persecute me because I'm a Christian. Call the, the, um, the Christian attorneys, uh, JCL, ACLB, uh, ACLJ, thank you, brother. A little brain, I was getting older, you'll hang with me. I'm calling them up. How dare you do that? Or will we do what the Bible says? Stay silent. We're accusing you of being, yep, I'm guilty. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the name of Christ that I will not be silent. I cannot be silent. But that's what I'm saying, church. What's our mindset? Is your mindset as that did me to say, God, Lord, prepare me for the day that that could come. Prepare me, Father. Because I know right now, as the same way it was when I was a police officer, you do when a situation gets tense, what you've been trained and what you have practiced over and over and over again. How many people I hear say, oh man, that persecution comes, I'm gonna stand firm. First time they get in an argument with somebody, they don't come to church for six months. You're gonna stand firm and risk being killed, you say? and you had a scuffle with somebody else, and you don't want to come back to church? I don't know where the disconnect is, but I'm missing something. Huh? Well, they didn't make, they didn't make that dessert I like at church, and I'd asked them to, and they said they were going, I'm not coming back. Nobody loves me. I know Jesus loves you and loves that attitude right now. Jesus loves you unconditionally. But this morning, who are we serving? Are we serving the King of kings and Lord of lords? Or are we serving self? Are we a Paul? I'll do whatever it takes and stay up as late as it takes to do whatever God needs me to do to be a vibrant, vital part of the body of Christ, which is made up of many members. Or are we going to sacrifice and make an altar of self, self-ambition, self-desires, self-wants, and then try to conform everyone around me to what I think Christianity should be? It's ungodly, church. It is not about my kingdom. It's not about your kingdom. It's about the kingdom. It is about the Henry Blackaby series we're going through right now, experiencing God, that I'm in with our class right now on Sunday mornings. What is that series about? It's about the work of God. It's not about us starting what we think God wants to start. It's about us going to where God's working. Amen? You want to get involved in something vibrant? Stop thinking you can go out and start something spectacular for your kingdom and you get involved where God's working. See, that's what God wants. And when your heart is like that, instead of believing that it's going to take a new 
three-ring pony show to get people just like thinking on Sundays. I'll tell you what, let's do a membership drive. Let's give out Starbucks cards for any new, mem- or new uh, visitors that come. And then you know what we'll do? We'll set up a little hot dog stand out there, and on Sundays we'll give them a gift card and a hot dog and cotton candy. Boy, they'll love, we'll fill the place up. You will. With hot dog, Starbucks, cotton candy seeking people. Do you know what the problem is? Next week you'll have to put a bounce house out there for adults. And then the following week, you better get one of those things that slingshots them up in the air, whatever the zip, uh, what are those things called? The big bouncy things, bungee, a human bungee. What is that thing? You know what I'm talking about. It's like a human slingshot. And then the next week, we're going to get a helicopter and we're going to take people up and let them jump out if they come again. There's only one problem. You've sold one entertainment. You know what I want them to, I want to sell every person that comes in here on? I want them here for Jesus, number one. You know why? When we have hot dogs and we have a fellowship, it's going to be sweet because they're going to be that. That's going to be the fellowship. That's the icing on the cake. They're going to be here because they want Jesus, though. In the next week that we don't have any dog and pony show, they're going to be here because they love Jesus. Church, that's what I want. I want a church full of people that love each other, and love husbands that love their wives as Christ loved the church, and young men that want to raise them, that want to be raised up to be young men of, of integrity and character, and young ladies of integrity and character that are bucking the trends of our culture, that don't care about dressing and looking and acting like the world. I want a, a church full of people that want to be something that stands out in a good way, that the world asks, what's different about you? You're different. But if you look and you smell and you act like the world, what's the difference going to be in us and the world? I don't know. I'll leave that up for you to answer because I can't answer it for you. But brothers and sisters, seeing God's power on display should be a normal event in your life, not an anomaly. Because there's nothing that we can do today if you're a Christian, nothing. The Bible says this, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, from the Lord of love, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. That's what the Bible says. So what that tells me today is if you're here and you're a Christian and you're living in submission and obedience, the Holy Spirit of living God, guess what? Everything you have today is the power of God on display in your life, and that should be a normal thing. Amen. But if it's not, I want to encourage you today to step back and say, God, I know the issue's not you. Reveal the condition of my heart. Again, anything can happen to God's people, but fear has no place in our hearts. Number two, God holds the keys to life and death. And then number three, again, seeing God's power on display should be a normal event, not an anomaly. The thing that I care about more than anything else. I don't care about people saying, you know, man, Longview Baptist Church, boy, it got so big and, and we had to split off 50 churches from it and this, that, and the other and blah, blah. I, I don't care about all that church. Let me tell you what I care about. If Longview Baptist Church, at the, and when, when I retire, I become too senile that I can't preach anymore. If people are saying, you know what, there's 100, 200 solid. Man, if you go to Longview, they are the heart of God, the love of God, the passion to be disciples like nothing I've ever seen. 
you know that that to me would be the greatest of fulfillment of my life's desire and ambition. You know why? 100 or 200 people that are impassionately in love with Jesus Christ will live an obedient life that God will use in ways that we will never begin to understand. But we could have a thousand. If we have a thousand unregenerate reprobates in here, you know what that means? We have a thousand people in here that are playing church. We're never going to see anything but a disastrous wreck somewhere down the line. Because the scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Peace. Let the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. That's what scripture also says. So seek out the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts. Above all, guard your hearts. How do you do that? You flee immorality, flee wickedness, flee temptation. To what? To him, in his presence, delighting in him. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desire of your heart. You want more of him? Good. You keep delighting yourself in the, the, the risen Savior of creation, the God of the universe. And you know what he'll do? He'll pour out his thoughts to you. He'll grow you. He'll make you the mother, ladies, that you never dreamed you could be. You will make you the father's dad that you never dreamed you could be. Grandparents will make you the best grandparents, not that run around spoiling your grandparents, that train your grandparents in the same desire that those parents have so that those children grow up and be lovers of God, God followers, that the very heartbeat of is the heartbeat of Christ. Again, you can't do that unless you live life as a follower of Christ on purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. But today, you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.